Hey, welcome to Being Creative. My name is Rick Leaf, and as you know, I am the host of this show where we explore the value of creativity through stories of successes and failures of individuals like us or not like us at all. This is going to be a good one. So let's jump into this week's episode. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> hey, I'm like 100 and kind of thousand million percent sure that I've told you the story about Bob before. Like, um, but for that extra little gazillion bazillion chance that I haven't, I'm just going to quickly tell you the story about Bob. Bob was this guy years ago. I met him. I was living in Winnipeg. And I'd done a show. I'm not going to get into that whole story because that's a whole other podcast. But uh, I'd done the show. I'd been really nervous, so I over-explained everything. And the next day, he was at that show. I didn't know him and never met him before. He was at that show, though, and he called me up the next day. And he said, my name is Bob. Come down to my house. I live, you know, a block from you. I'm going to pour a glass of wine, and I want to talk to you about something. And so we did. And I went down there, and uh, Bob said, look, um, he introduced himself as a retired United Church minister. He was a, a painter, a uh, published author, and uh, did political car tar cartoons for um, Dimension Magazine. Anyways, really interesting guy. And he said, uh, Rick, after, the, after your show last night, I went home, and I, we were walking home, and I said to my partner, that kid is a preacher. And I looked across you know, the basement at him because I really didn't know how to take that. And he followed up and he said, Rick, uh, a preacher doesn't trust his audience. A storyteller trusts his audience to make the necessary connections. And man, it was such a profound, beautiful kind of uh, piece of advice that I've taken and, and never let go of. So... I bring that up because I really do. I, I trust my audience now to kind of make the connection between the stories I like to tell here on this podcast and what it is that you're going through, the challenges and the struggles that you might be going through. And, and I really don't believe ultimately in uh, a lot, almost 900,000 gazillion percent of like online coaching and consulting seems to come down to so much like, uh, hey, here's what I did, and here's what I said, and how I said it, and where I said it, and what I was wearing when I said it, and if you wear the same thing and say the same thing in the same way or about the same time, you know, I made like six figures in 24 hours, and, and this whole insinuation is like, if you just pattern yourself after this complete stranger that you've never met in your personality and, and life experience and creative gifts and talents and abilities and everything else are completely different, this idea that if you just do the same thing that somebody else did, that it's going to work for you in a similar way. You know, like, well, I can't guarantee, you know, you're going to make six figures, but, you know, I made I made a million. You might only make six figures in 24 hours, but whatever. And it never works. That's why I love stories, because you take the story and do what you want with it, because you're going to have to take the we all are right. We're going to have to take the ideas and the things that come at us and we're going to have to kind of break them down to 
who we are and what our gifts and abilities and talents are, where we're at in life, what our goals and objectives are. So anyway, I want to tell you a story, this episode about the tale of two classrooms. Like, so I'm a creative consultant. I I do lots of creative projects in schools all over Canada. Um, have f- the first school I ever went to was in the year 2000, which kind of freaks me out because, you know, it's 2022 right now and I'm doing this show. So I think that's fascinating. It's been like 20, over 20 years that I've been going to schools. And, and one of the things that um, always is different for me than it would be for any teachers out there who are listening is, you know, your school including your staff room, it's not my space. I'm a guest. I'm a guest for probably five days. But it's really interesting to me uh, how staff rooms differ. And I'd I'd like to just lay out a couple experiences I had and then uh, just tell you the story. So um, these are two middle schools that I've gone to both, you know, probably four or five years each. The first staff room, I'm just going to talk like even just physically what the room is like. It's long. It's narrow. Um, It's probably not ideal in any way. It's probably just this leftover space that they had and the architect goes, oh, yeah, we'll just, you know, shoehorn the teachers in here. I mean, they're not living in here or anything like that. It's so long and kind of narrow and rectangular that, and of course, there's the windows all along one side. So there's couches and chairs kind of just put arm to arm all the way along that wall underneath the window. Then really close to that is this coffee table or or a string of coffee tables that go down. Really, you just have enough room. It's kind of like almost being in an airplane. You're, if you got to kind of scoot down into the middle of the couch to sit down on that window side of it, because there's really only enough room to just be sitting there. Your knees are almost touching the coffee table. And on the other side of the coffee table, they have another row of couches and chairs, all, again, pressed together, um, arm to arm, so that it's like this two long um, seating areas uh, really close to the little coffee table. So if you if you go into that staff room and you want to sit down, you were almost inevitably sitting close to somebody on either side of you. But that's pretty awkward to if you know, if you're gonna have a conversation with a stranger or anybody like on a plane or whatever. That's what I hate talking to people on planes half the time because you're like literally right beside each other and you got to keep turning your head like you know, to the side, if you want to make make eye contact. But because everything's so close, the person sitting on the other side is like literally right there, just like four feet away, three feet away. And it's, I, I, I'm also an event producer. And so I, I'm always looking for the dynamics of creating an event that's going to give everybody kind of what they need. There are some people at an event, they're going to want to come in and and uh, they're going to want to sit in a quiet little corner, just kind of acclimatize themselves to the sort of the vibe of the party or the event or whatever and find their way. And some of them are never going to want to leave that kind of shady, sort of shadowed, darker, dimly lit area. They just feel they just want to blend in. They want to be there. They want to enjoy it, but they kind of just like listening to people and they don't want to feel pressure or whatever. 
So as a good event producer, you want to create that space. There's other people that gravitate to the brighter lights, closer to the speakers where the music is. I don't know if you've ever gone to an event and and there's background music playing and the background music playing is almost, well, you would say it's a little bit too loud. That's intentional. That's on purpose. If, if you walk into a room and it's just getting started and, you know, the first four, six, even 10 people walk into a room, if there's music playing and it's kind of loud and you want to keep talking to your friend who's there, you got to kind of almost shout to your friend who's standing right there while you're having your, you know, your drink and you're just kind of getting into it. Well, that brings an energy to the room that brings life so that the 11th person that walks in, they're walking in and the room feels like it's alive. People are excited. They're talking. It's loud. They can just like make their way in. The very opposite's true. If you don't have, if you have really subdued, quiet music, some really, you know, little adult contemporary jazz or a little bit of, you know, strings or something playing like really (laughs) subdued, you're going to create a library or a morgue. You're going to create a space that's so quiet, people are going to come in and instead of just talking in a normal voice, they're going to start feeling like they need to whisper and and talk really quietly. It's terrible. Um, Anyways, so this staff room has always been loud in a good way. You walk in, there's voices, there's laughter, there's chatter. They might be talking about class or whatever, but that room is full of voices and life of activity. And I've always really enjoyed that room. There's, it's hard for me to find as the guest. There isn't really that quiet little space off in the corner. There's a little table at the very far end, little round table where they're able to have little meetings if they need to. And there's always somebody down there eating. But really, it's a very inclusive space. And it's dynamic. And it's lovely. Compared that... <laughs> to this other staff room that I go to in a completely different school. Now, this room, it's pretty big, pretty massive, like for a staff room. Maybe it was a big classroom and they were just like, no, nah, we're going to take this space and we're going to make it our staff room. Or when they first made that that school, it was at a time where they're like, look, teachers need a <laughs> A massive gymnasium to go to. Anyways, it's not a gym, but it's it's a really big space. And uh, the thing is, they took the furniture as like, I'm sorry, I'm just going to throw some guy under the bus. But I, I swear, some dude who is not an event producer, uh, certainly not an event producer like me, created that space because they just took a bunch of ratty old furniture. They look like they probably just drove around the city to like garage sales and picked up the most mismatched, you know, tacky, stupid, uncomfortable stuff. And they just lined the room. Uh, What is it? Two, three, probably about three three walls of this big room, which leaves this massive moat of silence in the middle there is a big table but uh if you go into this staff room it's usually pretty quiet it's in a not in a good way it's kind of sad and depressing um because if you walk in and you get and like let's say there's three people in that room 
they're probably sitting 15 feet away from each other. <laughs> you know, take the Canadian personal space and like quadruple it and add six times, you know, pi r squared or whatever. It's like this massive, you know, personal space that we have. But so if I walk in and there's two people sitting here, one on that wall and one on that wall, where am I going to sit? I'm going to take the third wall. And Instead of being directly across from somebody where it would be really comfortable and natural to have a conversation, you're like friggin' 40 feet away. And even if you don't have your phone, I mean, most people in that staff room would just bury their head in their phone and nobody would be talking at all. So it'd be quiet or the people who are talking, like I said, uh, you don't want to be overheard or you don't want to be, you know, there's just this psychological thing going on that it's supposed to be quiet or, or library like. So they're kind of muttering a bit quietly. And anyways, it was really fascinating. I would just sit there and go, who designed this horrible space? Like, and it brings me to the point of asking you, if you are a teacher, if you're in a school and you think about your staff room, what is the point of a staff room. I mean, yeah, it's got a f practical, functional role that it plays. It usually has a fridge where a teacher can put their lunch. Um, it hopefully has a coffee pot or whatever, but like bigger picture, what is it for? It has to be for a place of connection. Teachers have got their classrooms. They've got their offices or their desks in their classroom or whatever. There's space for them to do their work. This has got to be a place that facilitates some sort of connection with staff to build community and relationships. And if your staff room is this cold, quiet, morgue-like environment, you're failing there's no two ways about it. You're failing. This is terrible. Now, I'm going to just add the conversations that I've had in these staff rooms are hilarious. The first staff room that's full of life and whatever, I remember walking in the very first time I was going over to put the kettle on. I got my little uh, AeroPress for making myself like a really good cup of coffee. I'm walking over to the kettle and this the very first teacher sees me, looks over and he's like, he thinks I'm a TOC or something, you know, and he's like, oh, are you a TOC? Are you just subbing today? Who's Who are you in for? And I'm like, oh, no, my name is Rick Leaf. I'm here doing, you know, teaching slam poetry this week to the grade eights or whatever. And he's like, whoa, well, welcome to school. I'm glad you're here. And that sounds really exciting. And what is slam poetry? Like the first person was just really engaging. And you know what? The staff overwhelmingly was like that. The second staff room. So I'm also not content. You know, my, my, I'm not content to just let things slide like, you know, this horrible staff room. So a couple days in, I mean, I feel like I, I am there to teach slam poetry for students, but I just feel like, you know, I'm there for everybody. I'm, I want to make the teachers have a great week. I want the students to have a great week. I want the TOCs. I want the janitors, uh, uh, you know, the administration. I want to, when I'm in your school, I want it to be a great week. I want everybody that meets me or knows me or has anything to do with me to be happy and excited that I'm there, that it brings, adds something to their life. I mean, that that's my perspective. So I went and I sat down, probably on Wednesday, went and sat down beside this teacher in the second staff room where it's all quiet. So I make this awkward thing. Instead of sitting like a million miles away, I go and sit, you know, three feet away. 
and try to strike up a conversation. And I say, at some point, I'm like, so, you know, how long have you taught? Oh, this many years, oh, two years, three years, whatever. Oh, yeah, where did you teach before here? No, no, this is where I, you know, I've taught both years or all three years, whatever. And I'm like, oh, if I'm back here next year, am I going to see you again? Guy looks me in the eyes, dead serious, and he says, oh, F me, I hope not. I'm like, okay, you know, I don't know what that guy's life's like. I don't know what's going on. But I was like, nobody has ever said that to me so <laughs> clearly. And uh, you, also, you know, it's not the right place to go. Really? Like, why? What's going on? What's Anyways, Thursday, I go, I walk in. There's just, you know, one or two people. And I'm like, still, I'm, I'm just not going to be the lame dude who goes and sits on the third wall a million gazillion miles away from you and pretends that you're not even in this room. So I, I sit down three feet away from this female teacher and I'm like, oh, hey, so what are you doing? And how long have you taught here? And where did you teach me for this? And I'm like, if I'm back next year, am I going to see, will I see you again? And she says exactly the same thing. F me, I hope not. Okay, there's a problem. There's a problem. There's probably more. Obviously, there's going to be more things going on than the staff room. I'm not like hanging the weight of all of this F me on the staff room, but it can't help. And at some point of that week, I realized there were some teachers that I was really connecting with. I really loved their classes. They, they had lots of energy and they were exciting. They were happy that I was there or at least they were communicating that to me. It was really great. And you know what? I realized I didn't see them in the staff room. That says a lot. So one of the years, between one year and the next, I hear that a principal from another school I go to, unrelated to these two, is going to be the principal at this school with the really bad staff room. So in the middle of summer, this is, I don't know if you ever do this or feel this or whatever, but it's like, you know, when you don't want to stick your oar in somebody else's you know, world. It's like you're uninvited. You're ask. You're you're wanting to offer some unsolicited advice. So I don't know if I left a message or sent an email, but I was like, "Hey, I go to that school. I heard you're going to be the principal over here. I'm going to see you. Uh, you know what? I just because I know you, I'd love to talk to you about something. Throw it out to you. You know, whatever to do with whatever you want. So this principal phones me in the summer. All right, give me what you got. What do you, what do you want? Just jumps right into it. What do you got? So I tell him about the staff room. What a horrible no man's land it is. Okay, so by the time I get back to that school, the following year, well into the school year, they totally redone it. They got new furniture. They designed the layout completely differently. I am sure that there was some staff turnover. I'm sure the administrative turnover, administration turnover. I'm sure there's a lot of different things that contributed to this. But that staff room was completely different. It was louder. There was laughter for the first time, I couldn't believe what a different environment it was. And, and maybe the, the people who were really grumpy and sad and hated it, maybe they left. Maybe it just happened to work out that they got, 
different people that were excited to be there or just in a happier place of life. I'm sure that there's like a million different things that went on, but I don't think you can uh, ever dismiss the importance of having a place to develop community and relationships, a place where fun happens, where it's relaxing to be to, where where people on a bad day want to go, not just to complain, but because they get built up. They, they can laugh a bit. They can connect with people. That's To me, that's so important. Now, those, those were the two um, classrooms, those, the two staff rooms that I really wanted to compare to. But I also wanted to tell you what some of the things that I've seen that have uh, I found really great. I was in a staff room in Yellowknife many, many years ago. I don't know how many years ago. And the, by the time I got to the staff room, and, and I don't know if you've ever been to Yellowknife or up north, um, it's so interesting. Like I live in Vancouver Island. I live in the city of Victoria. If I've ever gone into schools here, it's kind of like an old folks home. <laughs> That's probably mean. I don't think it's mean. It's just like you have all of these retired teachers or semi-retired teachers from different places in the country that wanted to move to Victoria. And I think they bring, you know, 20, 30 years of experience and they only want part time or I don't know what they want. Um, but here... The teaching staff, from my experience, has been like, skews pretty old. Not Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying it skews pretty old. Up in Yellowknife, it typically seems like they, most of the teachers, you, if you go to a high school, you can hardly tell between like the first and second year teachers and, and the grade 12 students because uh, there's literally probably four years difference or less, you know. They're, they're usually the people that they applied all over southern Ontario or wherever they're from, and they couldn't get a teaching position, and then, you know, they get this opportunity to go to Yellowknife, and so they show up there. So it's just very young. Now, maybe that has something to do with it, but this staff room in Yellowknife that I went into, oh, man, it was just loud. It was fun. Everybody's joking and laughing. They all look like they're probably grade 12 students, but they're not. And so... The, the all of the couches and everything, all of the tables, they were all full. And uh, I'm just kind of wandering around looking at what's on the walls or whatever. And I see this huge cork board over on this one wall. And so I walk over to it. And on the top, it says wish board. And it has all these little sticky notes um, stuck to it or, you know, with little tacks or whatever. And so I, I go over and I'm just like, what's this all about? And the wish board, it was like I started reading all the little post-it notes and they were like, I wish I could see how somebody puts a lesson plan together. I wish somebody could teach me how to incorporate new technology into the classroom. I wish, and it was all that. It was all things. And now maybe they had a wish board because they were such a young staff. But I thought it was really cool. I got so many ideas. I was sitting there going, geez, you know, like... Uh, I could teach a teacher how to like incorporate new technology into the classroom. That's what I do with multimedia storytelling projects. Oh, this, how could I get students excited in creative writing? Oh my gosh, like I teach slam poetry. Uh, I could, I could like maybe answer that question by what I, and I got so many ideas because I didn't realize that these were struggles and challenges that teachers were having and solutions. And then this was a way that they were looking for solutions. So I thought, man, 
That was super dynamic. I think they were, I don't, I can't remember whether they were anonymous notes or whether people wrote their names so that if somebody, you know, had the solution to that problem or, or whatever, that they could go find them and tell them. But man, I thought that was really, really cool. What a great resource for your staff room to be a place to be able to say, this is one of my struggles. And you know, that's one of the things. There's lots of places that you go to where nobody ever wants to admit, oh, I have this weakness. Oh, I have this challenge. Oh, I have this problem. Oh, I'm stressed out about this. Or I don't know. Like there's so many places in for all of us that they're not safe environments to share what you're struggling with. So then you can never ask the questions that you need to ask because you you feel like, well, I'm this is going to come back and bite me in the butt or somebody's going to use this against me or whatever. Um, so that wish list, that was really cool. Um, there was another staff room I was in quite recently, um, and I thought it was really fun. They just had a big, uh, it was like a Scrabble type of a board up on the wall. And uh, every day, every teacher got, I don't know, you know, six tiles or whatever it was. It wasn't an actual Scrabble board, but they got six tiles and it was like, their names were all on the side. This was going to be a Scrabble game that was going to go on for like all year or whether it was like a month or whatever. But uh, while they were coming in and, and there, this was just physically speaking, this was a smaller space as well. So I think there was like basically just two or three tables with chairs around it, which I thought was really cool. It maybe isn't quite as comfortable, but honestly... Um, I have never really seen people like lounging in a staff room like it's a living room. You know, it seems like it's much more like a kitchen. And if your furniture is more related to like the things and the way you hang out in kitchens, like with stools and tables and chairs where you're kind of gathered around, that seems to work really well. So every time I went in there, um, I overheard lots of conversations about people, about teachers um, asking each other questions about, you know, different challenges, different lessons, different things, ways that they were getting, you know, promoting literacy or, or what they were doing in the gym or whatever. It was lots of collaborative kind of chatter. And then there was always this kind of fun thing. They, out of the corner of their eye, they would see his teacher stand up. And at first I didn't know what was going on, but somebody had been sitting at their table playing around with their little Scrabble letters. And now they were getting up to play it on the board. And there was this teasing and joking and ooing and awing if it was a lame word or a super great word or whatever. And I thought that game that's hanging on the wall is worth its weight in gold in what you hope your staff room will accomplish. Just some aspect, you know, if somebody wants to play it, they can play it in front of everybody. If somebody else wants to secretly like try to struggle around with it, you know, and do it in privately, there's lots of ways for them to do that. And it was just a really great, fun space. So, you know, as we think about the challenges in our life and we think about the struggles that we're having, one of the things that I, f I find, you know, being a creative person, and being part of a creative collective. Even I live here in Victoria in a community house. Our families lived in this community house with a number of other people for, you know, 10 years now. 
the creative uh, and collaborative environment that you're in is so important. Like whether I would call myself a creative or not, we can all get stuck in a rut. We can all find ourselves limited by our experience, limited by our, the way our brain thinks about something or approaches problem solving. And sometimes all you need to do is have somebody from the outside or somebody who's unlike you entirely. Okay, this just reminds me of just another quick story. <laughs> but I was, I was in an elementary school years ago. This just makes my point. It jumps into my mind. as the greatest story for making the point. I was in this elementary school for years, normally doing um, slam poetry with all of these uh, intermediate grades and songs and songwriting with the younger primaries. And, uh, but this one year, they were like, no, you know what, Rick, we'd like you to do songwriting with all of the grades. And that was an absolutely bonkers contract for me. I agreed to write, I think it was six or seven songs separate songs with six or seven different classrooms. Like just as a songwriter, let me tell you, if you've never written a song, if I wrote a song in a month, that would be kind of miraculous. You know what I mean? Like they're not something that I just bang out, you know, just like, you know, putting a piece of bread in the toaster and toasting it up in three minutes. It's like, it takes a long time. And here I'm writing six or seven songs in one week, incorporating 300 students. And, and we were working our way up to um, the big Friday afternoon assembly where everybody's going to get up and play the song. Anyways, I was in this guy's class and I'd done slam poetry for years, but now we're writing a song. And so I might come in with some music and say, here's the music progression, here's the melody, what's the song supposed to be about, what are the lyrics? And I'm just, you know, working the class. And uh, he came in, I think the, the bell rang, I packed my guitar up and went to the staff room, and he, he came in like five minutes later, and he just walked up to me and he said, Rick, I'm a math teacher, I'm a math guy, I'm very linear. And he said, just watching you in my class, he's like, you're just all circles. You're just like, well, it could be this idea, or maybe we could go over here. Oh, wait, maybe, maybe we should just like change it up to that. Oh, maybe we like change up the idea of the song. Well, what if we did that? And he's like, he was just like, with his fingers, he was just kind of making like Olympic circles in the air. He was just like all of these circles. And he was waiting for this definitive here's the line and it fits with the next line and that leads us into the course and then there's that line. He's looking at this like this linear math problem where you're going to add one plus two plus, you know, and watching the creative process for him, he was just like, I could never do what you're doing. It's just like to watch that was fascinating. And he just meant to watch somebody else's process was fascinating. And that's what I find. I love going, I'm not really a good teacher. I can only um, teach people how to do something that I know um, if they learn the same way that I learn. I feel like teachers, great teachers that I've met, they're able to, um, obviously, to teach information to somebody who learns in a different way than they learn as the teacher. Like, I, I remember going to this um, it was a TED Talk years ago, and this guy said, hey, everybody, 
Let me ask you a question. If let's say we you bought a piece of uh, stereo equipment and you brought the box home, how many of you would open up the box and before you touched anything else, you would take out the manual and you would read it from beginning to end? A whole bunch of people put up their hand. I I thought it was madness. <laughs> That's what my partner would do. And I've teased her about that like our entire life together. I just, you know, she loves reading the manual. She doesn't want to touch anything until she's completely gone through the manual. And I was like, oh, my God, I need to tell her that there's other people like her out in this world. Who knew? And then he said, how many of you people, if you pulled the manual out and you turned it over to the back page and it had like a 1-800 number called tech support, how many of you would call that up and you'd just be like, hey, Ed, um, yeah, I just bought this piece of stereo equipment and just found your line. I just wonder if you could walk me through how to plug it in and set it up. How many people would do that? Oh, man, you wouldn't believe how many hands went up. <laughs> like if you gave me an entire year, I don't think I would ever have thought of that. And then he said, uh, I'm starting to really feel out of place. And then he says, how many of you people would, would open up the box, take the stereo out, plug it in, just start pushing buttons to figure out, you know, how things worked? And I was like, finally, somebody's talking, you know, my language. And he said, look, you probably couldn't see from sitting out where you were, but from the stage, about a third of you are visual learners, about a third of you are audio learners, and about a third of you are tactile or kinesthetic learners. And he's like, the best teachers are the ones who try to combine all of those learning styles as much as possible in whatever lessons they're teaching. And that blew my mind. Also, one of those simple little things that made such a difference in how I do what I do. I'm not a great teacher to teach you how to do what I do. But I'm a great facilitator at recognizing when I come into a school that there's artists and there's athletes and there's people who are into music and some people love, you know, they're quiet and some people love slam poetry and some people would love to run a camera and some people would love to sing. And I just make a point and a way to create a safe and supportive environment to celebrate whatever your piece is that you know, you add to this incredible picture here in your school, because we want to tell the story of your school, and you're a part of that. And we want you to be able to play that to your strengths and your abilities so that it's super easy for you to have a win and to feel confident and to gain confidence. We also want to have this safe and supportive place where people who are not like you at all can also play to their strengths. And that maybe in the process of, of working together or watching the video afterwards, you might be like, oh my goodness, there are so many amazing, talented people in the school. And maybe like that math teacher, you might come up to somebody and say, I saw what you did in that video. And I, that blew my mind. Like that was amazing. If you gave me a year, I would never have come up with that. You know, that's the type of things for students, but we also want staff to have that experience too. There's just so many gifts and abilities and talents and things, the creative capital that we all have to bring to our community, the more we can provide environments, whether it's your staff room, your classroom, your playground, you know, things like the buddy bench, whatever, any of these things that facilitate us coming together and supporting each other and creating that environment, that's a win, that value for that is infinitely more 
than than what it seems to be on the surface. So, you know what? I produce this podcast because I want to explore stories and share stories of successes and failures um, that I've had and, and get to be a part of. And maybe it's easier to share somebody else's, but you know what I mean? Successes are great. And we all hope that our life is going to be filled with success. I certainly do for myself, and I'm sure you do. While we can be inspired by the accomplishments and the successes of others, I know that we can all relate to failures and struggles, which is why it's too bad that we're not more comfortable sharing that side of life. And I've made it a point of just saying, I want to share mine. I want to share my failures as much as my successes, because I know you'll be able to relate to that. Um, So anyway, being creative. It's a mindset. It's a lifestyle. It's one that produces an energy that empowers resiliency and confidence to face the challenges that life throws us. That's what we need, particularly now in 2022, more than ever. That process, that's what creates momentum. I hope you have momentum moving you in the direction you want to go right now. So I hope you were inspired and you gleaned whatever little threads from those stories that you were able and uh, can weave them into your own story and whatever it is that you're challenging uh, is challenging you and you're struggling with. Feel free, always feel free to leave a comment, ask a question, and remember, my dear friends, you are capable of infinitely more than you've ever given yourself credit for. I don't even need to know you personally to know that that's true. So until next time, 